Welcome back, everybody, to episode four of the Ride with the Night show. In this episode, I sit down with my brother, Kobe, and talk dirt bikes yet again. All sorts of different content in this episode. Really fun to sit down and just kind of see where the conversation goes, talking about old races, talking about our experience riding and training and learning different things and changing between different motorcycles and just what that has provided for us and all of the different experiences we've had because of all that. So it's really fun to kind of see where these conversations go and the little sort of tidbits of information uh, regarding maybe technique or mentality. This this episode, Kobe and I spent a lot of time talking about um, riding mentality and how it correlates to your life and a lot of the different things that uh, we try and be mindful of or things that we're just really learning as we go through this whole experience riding off-road motorcycles. So thanks for tuning in. Before we jump into this episode, here is a few words from some of our supporters. Ride with the Knights is proud to announce that our complete online riding course is now available in a simple monthly subscription. For just $14.99 each month, you can gain access to over 150 training videos. If you're an off-road motorcycle rider, you don't wanna miss out on this incredible opportunity to take your riding skills to the next level. I see so many riders make the same simple mistakes that are causing them to get injured, exert too much energy, and ride way below their actual ability. Most riders don't know they're making these mistakes and have no idea how to fix them. However, many of these mistakes can be fixed by applying a few simple techniques and principles. The online course is designed to teach you how to ride safer, faster, and more efficiently. Our in-depth instructional videos are easy to watch and straightforward, covering the exact techniques and skills you need to start tackling trails with confidence. Once inside the course, you'll have access to six different chapters with topics ranging from fundamental riding techniques, obstacles and terrain, mechanics, fitness, trail riding, and racing. Taught by myself, Josh Knight, with the help of my brothers Kobe and Ben and our dad, Mike Knight, we have been riding and racing off-road motorcycles for over 20 years and have a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with you. We're passionate about helping other riders improve their skills and achieve their goals. In addition to the 150 training videos, the premium membership is loaded with tons of other valuable features. You'll gain access to our private Facebook community full of off-road riders just like you working together to improve their skills. You'll also gain access to all future content, our monthly live Q&As, weekly riding drills, and our ongoing daily fitness programs. With the Ride with the Knights premium membership, you'll have access to all of our content at an affordable price of just $15 per month. You can learn at your own pace and access the course from anywhere at any time. It's perfect for busy riders who want to fit their training around their schedule. If you're ready to take your riding to the next level, head over to ridewiththenights.com and sign up today. We'll see you inside the course. Ride with the Knights has recently partnered with Rocky Mountain ATV MC, the one-stop shop for motocross, adventure, UTV, ATV, dirt bike, and more. Rocky Mountain stocks parts, accessories, riding gear, and tires for all major motorcycle manufacturers. We've been ordering all our motorcycle parts and accessories from Rocky Mountain for years, and I have always had an appreciation for what they offer to the riding community. However, I did not fully understand the scale of what they do until a recent tour of their facility. 
durability. All I have to say is it's absolutely amazing the sheer quantity of parts, tires, and accessories they have in stock, locked and loaded, ready to be shipped to your doorstep. I just checked today for fun and they have an OEM head gasket for a 2005 Yamaha YZ250. Absolutely amazing. All orders over $75 qualify for free shipping. Head over to ridewiththenights.com and click the Shop Rocky Mountain button to start browsing their vast system of parts. By using our link, you can support the Ride With The Knights crew and help us continue creating content for the off-road community. The Moto Experts offer performance suspension and engine packages out of Spanish Fork, Utah, and they are also currently the only Sherco dealership in Utah. I have personally spent the last two years riding a Sherco motorcycle, and I've got to say that I have been really impressed with not only the competitive capability of these bikes, but their outstanding off-road performance when it comes to technical terrain. There truly is no other 300 two-stroke on the market that has the same level of low end torque that a Sherco has. Visit the Moto Experts today or give them a call to learn more about their showroom inventory and what Sherco models fit your riding. The Moto Experts not only help you choose the correct motorcycle for your riding, but they help tune and set up the key components such as suspension and engine tuning to get the most out of your ride. With years of experience working with all major suspension manufacturers out there, Kevin Egbert has truly become a wizard in the world of custom suspension. If you're interested in taking your comfort to the next level, visit Moto Experts today for a free quote for your suspension package. Thanks for sticking around and be sure to enjoy this episode of the Ride with the Night Show. I started last week talking to Benji, same thing about 250F, but I figured since uh, you're on the same bike that that would probably be a fitting way to kick off this show as well. Talking Um, about 250F. Why did you choose uh, 250F right now? Yeah, Benji, uh, he stole my thunder a little bit. I was so... I was pumped for him. I could, one, because I was just glad to see him join the or have the same interest in wanting to switch things up when he bought his um, because I had been planning on it uh, for a while. I think what really sparked it initially was I had the opportunity, it was right before we went to Italy actually, to go to Oregon and test out, I believe it was the 20... Would that have been 21? I think it was 20. Time's flying. The new Honda? The when they yeah, revamped the Honda 250F, the CRF 250R. Um, it was a brand new bike, a really anticipated brand new bike. And I had the opportunity to go to Oregon to the bike intro with the Lawrence brothers, even. Um, met some other awesome people there. AJ Catanzaro worked with him a little bit too. But, anyways, uh, we got to ride that bike for a day, and that was the first time. In a long time, actually, that I'd ridden a 250F. And really, since then, it's just stuck with me. I remember that day was just super fun for many reasons. That whole trip was super fun for many reasons. But the bike, it just stuck with me for forever. I was like, wow, I I truly feel that I wasn't uh, prohibited like as much as I initially thought I would be. Um, and I, a lot of people probably don't know this, I rode, I've ridden probably more four-strokes than two-strokes in my riding career yeah you're the exception among the four of us mm-hmm. night riders that would, in our immediate family like if you count our cowie our kx 250fs i rode like three or four 250fs before my first and only 350 and then switching to the 450s so trailing off going all over the place but i think that that intro with the the honda kind of it, it started an itch and 
than it wasn't until last fall that I picked up mine shortly after Benji got his. And yeah, just for the the CRF intro, that definitely sparked it. But then also there is some, there were some technique uh, benefits that I was curious to see if I would, I would get from it mainly with, I, I think it's no secret that riding the bigger 450 is kind of notorious for prohibiting or causing some laziness, a little bit of laziness. Yeah. Um, and I think I was kind of falling into that category a little bit. I, I wanted to mainly improve corner speed. And I, my thought was that a 250 was going to help me. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier with corner speed, um, entry speed, just, you always talk about maintaining speed that you already have and you have rather than trying to make up speed later. And you have to do that on a 250F, absolutely. Just like a two-stroke. Um, it's actually been kind of interesting to see how much, how similar riding a 250F is to a, to a two-stroke. And I know I'm going to get hate for that, but just with the clutch control, you just have to be so much more aggressive and shift as opposed to being on a 450, putting it in who knows what gear you're in. It doesn't matter. You can just go. So, um, yeah, I just I feel like there was a lot of benefit as far as technique, just keeping, uh, learning to just carry more speed through obstacles, um, and I, I can say that I've finally started to see some results there, specifically on moto stuff. It's taken a while. I think I've just when I first started after I bought mine when I first started riding it, I. I, I never tested it, but I'm sure I was slower than on my 450 because the 450 just has, because it has more power, I'm so used to a certain RPM range. I was just riding the bike the same and you can't do that. Um, you definitely have to ride the bike more aggressive and it's just taken me a while to, to figure that out, but I think I'm finally getting there. I'm excited for uh, riding a whole bunch of moto this year or this summer specifically and plan on slapping the GoPro on and doing get a bunch of content. tests. So yeah, we'll we'll get some videos out there for sure. Get our hands on another do you feel like do you feel like based on describing your experience getting right on the two fifty F based on what you described, it sounds like there's a certain component of your decision that was influenced purely by trying to become better technique wise. How much of your it seems like it all kind of sparked from that initial experience riding with the Honda intro, but, uh, how much of your decision to change, uh, I mean, bike displacements was influenced by technique, like an ambition to improve mm. your technique versus, uh, just an interest to switch it up. Hmm. I mean, it, it was probably was that sort of kind of just a byproduct. Like once you switched, then you started to notice like some opportunities to improve your technique. No, I'd like to think, and I, if I remember right, like that, that's been, that was one of the motivations, uh, the entire time was the technique, uh, as well as I think if anything was a byproduct, it was just the fact that it's something different that I get a race, a different class against some different people, um, there, there, I have an excuse to, to, instead of starting at the very front and then fading back, uh, I have a different challenge in trying to catch people in front of me. Often the two fifties are starting later in the, the GP types of races, at least. Why is it that you think when racing that, that shift in, um, 
sort of pursuing riders in front of you versus getting past what's the what's the mental dynamic around that and why do you think that that actually helps you in racing because i experienced the same thing in my racing it's a drastic shift when you're pursuing when you're when you're making up ground when you're chasing the riders versus trying to defend talk walk through that what's Mm -hmm. how does that play into your own riding yeah i i'm sure you can elaborate more specifically in a leading aspect as opposed to just having anybody in front of you and just following anybody uh, you have plenty more experience um, leading entire races and it's a much different mentality or just situation to be in uh to yeah without thinking about it too much i think for the most part it's just almost uh you have nothing left to lose mentality you uh, you just everything everything to gain yeah. not necessarily at the back obviously you're still um racing against a class and you're often scored and you should really only care about the score scoring Relative in that class, class exactly yeah. but um now still i think a lot of us especially off-road guys we, we care about the overall honestly yeah. I, I care probably more about overall position than than class yeah. position that's the first thing i'm looking at in a lot of the yeah for you listeners in a lot of the west coast off-road races where they're where you have multiple classes competing on the on the track whether it's works or ngpc or a lot of our local hair scramble events are kind of formatted that way where you have uh I mean, maybe you have a couple different rows, but everybody's out on the course at the same time. So you're, you know, kind of where you're sitting overall. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. That kind of plays a big role in, in what you're looking to achieve. Yeah. The overall position. And so, yeah, just if, if you're starting behind everybody, the, I guess the goal there is to just try and see how many you can catch uh, at that point. Um, so I, I mean, I asked that question because personally, I mean, as you were describing there, I I have some experience maybe kind of getting in 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 the front or leading um, different local events, but uh, particularly in the last year or so, I've observed some experiences where I may have been running up front and then faded. Or my typical trend, kind of, if you observe across the board over the last four or five years, is I'm a relatively good starter, get to a good position early in the race, and then try and defend and and usually kind of fade towards the or lose a couple positions. But uh, in the last couple races, particularly one that, that stands out was uh, at the Lindell race, which was the last round of one of our local Utah series, the Umora series, and it was hosted out by Delta. And I was riding Kevin Egbert's 350 at that particular event. And I kind of had, I didn't set very high expectations at that event, uh, which I usually do. So that was kind of one benefit, but I didn't get a very good start, which was not strategic. I always try and get the best start I can, but I got a very poor start and, uh, it was just like all the pressure was let off and it was, and, and then over the course of the next 30 or 60 minutes throughout that first loop, I was able to pass maybe five or six guys. And I noticed a very distinct sort of energy around that, uh, that strategy or just that mindset where it puts you in when you're making passes. And I talk about this inside the, in our online course, but it's, and it's something that I'm continually learning, but I kind of coined, not necessarily coined, but, um, I just described it as a upward or downward mental spiral. Mm. And so you can take all these different, uh, 
all these different things that can happen during a during a race, all these different little mini situations or events, and you could categorize them into positive ones and negative ones. So you have like getting past, tipping over, uh, maybe like this mechanical noise that's annoying, that's <laughs> sort of bugging you. Like we've all experienced that. And, uh, and there's a lot of things we can talk about that, but all of those are things that could spark some negative emotions that could start to initiate kind of a downward spiral where you start getting into a negative mindset and all those other things like passing guys um, and making, I mean, making passes or executing obstacles correctly with good technique, different things like that. Those can initiate upward spirals. But what's unique about kind of the bad start thing is that like it all starts off with kind of one of the biggest negative things, which is kind of a bad start. Mm So I think that it's, it's, it's definitely a combination of, how you respond to those, but then also trying to accumulate some of those like little baby steps or those positive experiences that can initiate that upward spiral. And so, I mean, that's at least kind of my theory regarding, I mean, how to, how that mental strategy works at Mm -hmm. least. No, it can, I mean, in short, you're just saying that it can benefit you, I guess, and it can, turning it into a positive, positive, like an upward spiral. Um, I can relate it back to, and you can, you can attest to this. I, when it comes to racing at like the top of the expert class or even just getting into the pro class at the beginning of it, or at least for the expert class, for me, desert racing, it took me a long time. I struggled with finishing races. I would beat myself up so bad, um, because I mean, I, I could get decent starts. I know I've always had speed, this, that. But I would get so lost in caring about getting past or just right, and then it would ultimately just result in me riding over my head, often crashing, and then just giving up from there on. And we were just talking about we won't give out names, but we, step one to racing is just finishing. Um, and this is going down a whole different road, but something I definitely want to talk about uh, with my racing and riding career. Uh, definitely step one was just to finish things and then from finally gaining the uh the mindset of okay no matter what happens i'm gonna finish this i still had moments where things didn't go the way they should i can remember a specific race at our local uh riding area where you just held the held your event the Knowles sprint enduro but we were racing the normal uh traditional usra desert race and often out there when they hold that race, it's it's drier, dustier. And I can remember a specific year on my 350, probably my second year racing the expert class. I went down hard on the start um, and then just ended up getting... It, it was just so dusty initially from my crash. I remember through that cloud, other people hit my bike, my bars got all tweaked, and ultimately I had to go back to the pits from the start, fix my bars, and at that point... I'm dead last. Like the novices had taken off, I think at, at this point. So then I just, but I still went out and I can remember to this day, just obviously clicking off passes. I think I have a post somewhere and I told it, it was like 150 something riders that I ended up passing back still. And just in a completely different light, that was still a very accomplishing, uh, accomplishing race for myself just to finish the dang thing, but to do, 
something super hard, although I, I'm sure I didn't feel 100%. I'm sure I got hit in the dust. My bike got messed up, although I fixed my bars. I'm sure they were still tweaked, other things going on with my bike. But it, it does go kind of hand-in-hand um, with what we were just mentioning with starting the back, having a bad start. I mean, yeah, you just you got to finish these things first things first oh, yeah. that that took me a long time in racing to to figure out and on and with that just comes having having fun with it it took me i mean i've always enjoyed riding and racing dirt bikes i definitely do now as an adult more than i ever did when i was younger although i enjoyed it but now i absolutely love it trust me yeah um and but with racing specifically and I'm sure it definitely depends on different personality types. Some people benefit from a fire under them more than others might. Um, and even racing disciplines when it comes to moto versus off-road, off road, yeah. I'm sure in a moto scenario, kids benefit a little bit more from um, having a fire, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, at least having fun was a huge achievement for uh, where I actually started to see results, ironically. When I stopped caring about results is when I started to see results. Um, I had some good rides in our local series, you know, four or five years ago, but I'd say where my riding, and I by no means, I'm trying to sound vain that I'm the top of the top, but it just comparative to myself in the past i've de- i'm definitely i've been in my prime i think when we raced six days that was probably one of my uh, best years riding and racing and i i'd love to match that and surpass that even but to get there i think 2020 2021 were years that i decided to just completely have fun with it i think ultimately covid Ooh, now we're gonna get yeah. We're going to get flagged for that. You can block that one out. <laughs> yeah. The C disease. Um, when that hit, I mean, what else were we going to... When that first hit, we all we all thought the world was going to end. Uh, whatever. We don't even need to get into that conversation. But uh, ultimately, I was like, dude, if, if the world's burning, let's go race while we can. Uh, and I decided I've always had an interest in the GPs. I've always loved... GP racing. GP racing is so fun to me. I've always loved moto, and I love the ruddy, breaking bumped, choppy, not necessarily whooped out, but choppy, yeah, choppy. moto Multiple style lines, off-road. Lie. Yep. Remembering lines, lap Remembering by lap. Remembering lines, lap by lap. That's a huge part of it. Um, I'd love to talk about that more even, but uh, I decided to go race works because it just sounded fun. Um, I didn't have any results that I were, was necessarily looking for. I decided to race the B-class. I will preface this with, I was racing expert. I don't even think I had signed up pro yet for any local events, just racing expert. But for our local series, B in works, like when you compare those two, it's about that level. Um, Works is more amongst the more moto style. And we all know as racers. Same level intensity across the board. The intensity kind of moves up a notch with the the moto classes and uh, the works series included. And we went to, I started that at the latter half of the series, the end of 2020, uh, went to Glen Helen and had a ride. I raced three, three of the B classes on my, that first 450 that I owned, 450B, a couple other B classes, whatever. 
um, hadn't been riding a ton, rode a decent amount, just trail riding, but mainly hadn't been racing a ton. Didn't have any expectations as far as results. Found myself there in like consistently top five. That weekend, I actually pulled all three hole shots in all classes, which oh, was awesome. I remember you saying yeah. that. <laughs> pulled all three hole shots, Glen Hill, and that's a track to do it too with that big old Talladega oh, yeah. turn. So that's super memorable. That's as it gets for mm-hmm. a hole shot. Um, this is long-winded. Hold on. This is a podcast. Deal with this. It's long-winded. <laughs> you're, li- you're here to listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. We, uh, But I came back from that weekend with yeah t- a bunch of top fives. I got a podium. I led laps. I think I even had a second place, but led a bunch of laps, just good racing experiences. But ultimately it was just so fun. And I was just impressed with how I did even. I didn't go in there with any expectations and came out of it uh, with better results than I probably was even expecting. I ended up, uh, Dylan and I, a close family friend of ours that's grown up riding and racing. He'll be on this podcast, I'm sure, at some point. Anyways, him and I chased some chased the rest of that work series that year again we hopped in about halfway through it i think i hit pretty much every round then on and ended up winning a lot of the b classes here and there or at least had a couple moto wins and i ended up finishing i think the open b class i think i finished second um with no intentions like this was half of the race series but just went out there and I'll admit, by the end of it, when I figured out the racecraft and just how works went, I, I mean, I was kind of sandbagging the the B class. Not really, though. I mean, when you, Still I was really, yeah. I was racing like one or two other kids mainly. Yeah. Like it was between between the three of us in in this B class, and they've all moved up. They moved up with me the next year. We decided to chase works in the A class then, and have some had some goals of trying to qualify for some pro-ams without going too much into the qualifying process there the the pro-am is essentially just a way for uh anybody who without a pro license to race in the pro event there at works races i believe i think gnccs do something similar and ngpc is that way but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to race with the pros. I wanted to race that two-hour-long, brutal off-road event. And it started that year, tw- now 2022. Uh, no, that would be 2021. My first year on in the A-class there at Works. We started at Havasu. Long story short, I got my butt kicked because it's just brutal there. Completely different. Lots of heads show up to that one. and But throughout that whole year, I stuck with Works. And had some incredible results. I did qualify for the pro am a few times, although I'm not wasn't too concerned about the results there. I just wanted to qualify, finish it. Had some decent results. 2021 was the year as well that I, uh, the first time that the three of us as brothers all finished within the top ten there at Idaho City, our favorite race, which was an awesome accomplishment. Went on to ride those 250s we talked about with the Lawrence Bros, but. Then ultimately topped it all off with six days, and I, I don't, I wouldn't have finished six days if I hadn't been riding and racing as consistently as I as I had, and it all stems from because I had fun. I went out, started racing works for fun, and it just stuck with it. And I did start. I would, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't starting to care more and more about the results a little bit, but my priorities were just straight. It was first to have fun with it and then results second. 
And that's always something up until that point, like 2020, 2021-ish, um, that I have struggled with, with riding and racing. I've had decent results, top 10 finishes, this, that, class wins, but to just to just have fun with it. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that as well, but... No, I mean, you pretty much just described, I mean, some of the initial uh, kind of trials that you had at a, at a younger age when you were beginning racing, just really kind of figuring out that one of the first things to, to do for you personally was to set a goal to start finishing events and then how you migrated and the years progressed on to, um, kind of taking out the, the, the expectations and and replacing that with a fun factor. I think there's tons of lessons, um, super valuable lessons. And I think that that's probably the lesson of just never giving up and striving to finish events and doing hard things is probably going to be the most consistent lesson that I will learn and that we all will learn together through riding off-road motorcycles. And that's something that dad and I talked about um, the other week on the show as well was just, I mean, really the lessons that we've learned riding that we're continually learning. Because I think about that all the time with my own riding. I just raced this last weekend. I mean, today's Tuesday. I raced three days ago, uh, a national hare and hound. And it doesn't get it doesn't get that much easier. And so to continually um, put expose yourself to those situations and those events and those trials and that adversity, it just I don't, it it keeps you sharp. It keeps you where you need to be in life for everything else in life because there's nothing about life that's really that easy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that. Uh, that consistently is just kind of one of my favorite messages and uh, things that I experience in writing that I like to hear from you as well, that it's consistent across uh, across multiple experiences. But uh, I mean, I think that's a super valuable lesson for everybody as off-road riders and something that we often, I have struggled with in my own riding with uh, with people maybe people are often interested in maybe replicating similar results or just pursuing the same passion that we share for writing. And so they often, I mean, it sounds, I, I even, I hate bringing it up all the time, but, but when people just ask like, how did you get where you're at pretty much? Just how did you get? And I hate even saying like fast or whatever, but just how did you guys get to where you're at? I mean, we've been riding for 20 years. We're experienced. Um, we've learned different techniques. We compete at an expert pro level in a lot of local events. And there's plenty of riders uh, all around the country and world and state that are as accomplished and will accomplish way more than us. But to just experience this, the, the off-road experience to the degree that we have and to get where we're at, people ask me all the time. And I always can sense this sort of interest in maybe this secret sauce, this secret, <laughs> the secret ingredient to how you... A lot of times it may be fathers interested in their in their son or daughter improving their skill or technique, and they're often interested in some sort of specific thing, like what did you do to get there? And, and I think that all of us, no matter what it is that we're trying to improve, we often think very linear like that, that it's going to be this one thing, and I've talked about this all the time, but uh, I think that what you just shared, like your whole experience there, is really just a summary of how to do it. It's just... I mean, it's those basic things such as just, I mean, believing that one of the most important things is just never give up and just just finish 
and just do that and then just keep it fun. You hear that all the time, but just do it for fun. And if you don't, I see people all the time that step into this sport for a couple of years, they fade out and I've watched generations. Hmm. I mean, we've been around it and I'm to a point now where I honestly believe I can't and never will let it go ever because it's such a integral part of my life and our lives together. But it surprises me sometimes when people come into it, um, they apply a lot of effort and then maybe they fade out of it after a couple of years or something. And I think that often it's, they may have failed on that search for how to keep it really fun and to actually genuinely enjoy it. And so when you disassociate your value as a person or as a writer and to your results, I think that's a key step um, in understanding that you can enjoy motorcycles and you can race motorcycles and not have your value of a, as a rider or your level of enjoyment or fulfillment be correlated with your results. And that's a really big lesson that I've sort of struggled with because I think when you're younger and you're progressing through the ranks and you're that C, B level amateur and then you get to that expert level, you're not ever concerned about reaching that sort of peak where all of a sudden like you're, you're just uphill. Everything's progress. Every day is progress. Um, not for everybody, but, um, when you look at kind of the trajectory over the years, you're just kind of progressing and getting better and better and better. And at some point you're going to reach kind of this moment where you sort of plateau a little bit. And I mean, that's happened multiple times for me on different levels of maybe plateauing in a certain area, whether it be fitness or skill or, or technique in different areas. And so kind of reaching that point and then reassessing and going, Oh, well, maybe I'm not getting better in this area or I got to do, I got to do things different. Um, I think that when you have those moments where you didn't perform up to the way you expected, you can really struggle with, uh, with just correlating your, how much you enjoy riding to, uh, to just your, your finishing position. And so I'm really happy with where I'm at now because I feel like I've finally kind of gotten, and, and I still have, a, a, to some degree, a little bit of that ego in there where you just, you, you still believe. And I think you have to hold on to that fire because that's what drives you to just mm. be your best. But you have to ver- you have to control that and really isolate that to you and make sure that you are progressing just you. And that as long as you do your, your best and you're racing yourself and the trail and you're racing your motorcycle, and then that's the best you can do and, and making sure that you extract just as much joy and value, um, out of that. Definitely. And putting yourself in the correct mindset before going or the, the appropriate mindset, I should say, rather going into each event, um, knowing that, uh, the, the goal is, is to have fun, but just having realist realistic expectations for yourself too. um, it, it can you can so easily get caught up in where you think you should be. Um, it's even easier to think like that when you are racing a specific series and you see that you're finishing around the same people consistently um, or around the same spot, and then to have that not happen, it can really throw you off, and you can wonder even if something nef- didn't necessarily like go completely wrong, or you don't have a specific thing that you can point to for causing the off result, it can get pretty frustrating. I can, uh, I can think of Idaho city last year, as opposed to that, uh, 
career best, I guess, for lack of a better word, of my 2021 finish, which was, I think, only seventh overall. But uh, seventh overall at a national event. I was. Uh, oh, you need me to re- redo this puppy. No, that's all right. Um, seventh overall there at Idaho City. Yeah, I was pumped on it. And then to come in the next year, I look back now and what I should have done was I should have realized that, hey, I am nowhere near the shape that I was last year. Uh, I haven't been riding as much as I was last year. Conditions were completely different than they were the year before. We had a mutter last 100% year. 100% opposite. To, yeah. Yep. So uh, I should have reminded myself of those things. I think I would have um, been in a better headspace for it. Ultimately, I crashed out of it. It's been, that's knock on this, this year wood. That's the first event in a, in a while that I'd actually crashed out of. And I, I did, I ultimately didn't want to, didn't want to quit. Um, there's a weird injury with taking uh, the Hand bars bar to my to gut and having to see my, see my guts kind of poke out. It was a little, <laughs> little odd, little first for me. Um, but I was that whole rest of the weekend. I tried to be in the best spirits I could, still support you guys, be a good pit crew if that's all I can do. I guess if I if I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna ride um, or can't ride, however you want to look at it. Uh, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't bummed at myself. And then that can just start an even that can start a downward spiral. Those upward and downward spirals. Uh, I mean, we can get all philosophical and they obviously do correlate with everyday life, but they can correlate with racing even outside of the race itself there. Oh, yeah. Because then I come home from that Idaho city and I go, dang, I'm not as good as I was. I'm never going to be as good as I was. Last year was my peak, this, that. Um, but since then I've realized, yeah, that's definitely not the case. It All it takes is another upward spiral, whether you do it intentionally or not. I remember we had some other local desert races later that year. And I think you, Benji, and I, it was at the Indianola, not Indianola. Yost. Yost Enduro. Yeah. We were one spot off, me being that one spot off from going one, two, three, oh, which yeah. we want to do so bad. <laughs> like whether we, I don't think we've ever said that to anybody, but of course as brothers it, or just as family, podium how sweep. cool would that be to podium sweep? But regardless, it was a good finish, a fourth overall. Um, I was pumped on that, and that there was I'd consider an upward start of an upward spiral right. again for last year, twenty twenty two, to be like, no, nah, you can you can still go fast. You're still yeah. good on a dirt bike. I remember I was mistake free, never went down. Like that's a plus. That's a whole other but conversation ties, we can get into. I mean, it ties big time between. Yeah, we talk about how it may be isolated to a particular event. Um, it may span across multiple months across different events. But I, I believe that it's very correlated with your day-to-day life as yep. well. And so I I mean, I think that the casual fan for Supercross may just totally, I mean, this stuff goes right over their head. Absolutely. But as an experienced rider and racer, that's all I'm thinking about when I watch those guys. Well, is, and I, I just want to, maybe we should kind of title this whole conversation we're having as just how important mentality is when oh, yeah. riding but more specifically racing so sorry to interrupt you but oh, continue no. i mean that's that's what because i hear it all the time on on other shows or different podcasts or just i'm always just observing different uh racing content and i love watching supercross i love watching the top guys 
And so that's a component that, I mean, I will stand by and I believe like is just absolutely critical. And I would stand by probably the number one influencer in any riding, racing, performance is mentality. I think it's absolutely crucial. And I know there's lots of people out there that uh, may believe that it's a very big component, but they might disagree it being the most important component. And so for me, I mean, I, and I've, it might just be my own racing and maybe it differs in different personalities, but for me, it is, it's critical. I mean, it's everything. I just, I really, and it's even as much experience as I have with it. And as much as I do believe that I still make those mistakes where I don't apply it correctly. And I think that a really good example and really good learning experience for me was a great contrast between my most recent national hair and hound experience and one, two years prior at the exact same event referring to the sage riders, which is typically, uh, round three, four or five of the national hair and hound series each year, typically the first Utah round, but it's a national hair and hound series. It's a, it's a national desert race. It's got a lot of competition, a lot of riders from the Western United States and, uh, a pretty cool event in my own experience. And one that I have often really enjoyed for a lot of different reasons, but rewind to 2021 and I had some stellar moments during that event and also some a finish that I wasn't super proud of and I look back and I've analyzed and dissected that event in a lot of different ways and I knew the minute I finished a lot of things I did wrong and then I I looked back on it over the course of months and years and can observe from different angles other things that I didn't do very well but um, had a great uh, first 10 or 15 miles at this event in 2021 and made up some positions and and did a poor job of pacing myself and ultimately uh, experienced a little bit of fatigue pretty early. But what that did was it really kick-started this downward spiral pretty early in the event and uh, put me in a poor mental strategic position where I wasn't defending, I wasn't charging forward, I was thinking about other things, I was thinking about riders behind me. I was thinking about how I'm going to sustain this pace for the next 60, 70 miles when I had only done 10 or 15 and I was already wiped. And so, I mean, without going super deep into all of it, I essentially just uh, executed a pretty, um, a poor job of pacing myself and then allowed that to influence me mentally to where I just faded, finished, I think 16th or 18th or something, which I mean, relative to any rider, I mean, your, your position, it's a perfect example of like your, your position is relative to you, to you as your own rider, because wherever you finish, if your goal is to get in the top 100, then that's great. I mean, just focus on you and pursue that. But for me, relative to what I felt I could accomplish, that was kind of poor. And so I have uh, been in a transition phase the last year or two. And so really excited to be in our new house, new routine, be able to spend more time racing. And I was really excited to go out and participate in this year's the 2023 sage riders national and i took a lot of those lessons from the last time and was very deliberate and strategic about implementing those i set it as a as a very specific goal that i wanted to do things differently i was on a different bike but uh ultimately the same event similar competition in fact probably even stiffer competition at this year's event and made it a goal to do a better job of those two things. One, pacing myself earlier in the event to distribute my energy more evenly across the entire event. And then more so, the most critical one was to just stay on top of my mental state, to be very mindful of how I was thinking about myself, 
the internal dialogue of what I was telling myself at the time to only focus on me, not worry about who was in front of me, not worry about riders behind me. And it's real easy to say that and have the idea that, okay, it'll be easy to execute that if I'm in fifth or top five or something, because that's where I believe I should be or top 10 or whatever you want to say. But if I'm in 18th, am I truly going to still be able to execute that? Am I still going to be able to focus just on me when I'm in 18th position? Or am I going to be frustrated and discouraged thinking about all those guys in front of me or the fact that guys behind me are still catching me even though I'm in 18th? Truly believing, okay, and committing to that, going, no, it doesn't matter what position I'm going to be in. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on the trail ahead. That's all that matters. Because when you really boil everything down in racing, you're not going to be able to control the riders around you. You can't do anything about them. The only thing you can do is ride your race. So why not make it the only thing you focus on from start to finish? It's so easy to let all these other outside influences in. So, I mean, I made that my goal and I was pretty proud of my ability to execute that. And I think it reflected in my results and I had a much better, a much better finish. And even if I would have finished in the exact same position, but executed that strategy the way I wanted to, I still would have been just as proud as I am for doing that. And so like talking about what you described in your experience of racing Idaho city, and then maybe being discouraged going back the next year, feeling like you weren't executing the way you wanted to. I think that, uh, there's a lot of different factors, um, at this level, whether it be equipment or fitness, all those different things, um, that we have to keep up on to know that we can perform at our best. But, uh, whether we have all those pieces of the puzzle at that time or not, the key one is mentality. And then ultimately knowing that, I mean, you can change that at any moment. I mean, Mm -hmm. any second you have the ability to, to change your mindset. Oh, absolutely. Like to the, the number one thing or event that came to mind while you're, you were talking about your Sage Riders experience. And I think you probably would agree that it's the number one event that you've done where this, uh, men, that mentality reigns true is the ISDE is six days. And, um, my situation was a little unique. And for those who don't know, uh, I, I'm sure we'll, whether we get into it later in this episode or another episode entirely, the the experience of Kobe ending up racing the six days is, is a wild one. Um, in short, I had just missed qualifying it. Um, qualifying for the six days wasn't my number one priority, but we went. It was a priority enough that we I w- attended all the qualifiers, did my best, and uh, just just came short by a couple positions or a few positions. I can't remember. Um, regardless whether I qualified to race or not, I had intentions the entire time of traveling over there with you, mom, dad, as support crew, mainly a uh, film crew. I took it upon myself when we went to Portugal. Um, actually, I think it was a combined idea, whatever, to just to document the whole experience. Um, for those who don't know, I, I love video photo have for a long time. And we, we documented Josh's, what was that? Your fourth ISDE there in Portugal. Yeah. And uh, it was, I'm so grateful for doing that, um, as vain as that sounds. But, but just to go back and have that whole experience documented, it's, it's awesome. Anyways, back to our original story with Italy. I was, my intentions when we went there in 2021 were just purely to film, for those who don't know. And then, in short, I ended up racing the dang thing. And to just stay on the topic of men- mentality, I mean, for me, that absolutely was the 
number one event in my life where mentality had to be everything there. And I, I, I remember saying that race week, and I still believe it to this day, I think I handled it better um, being thrown into the fire last second, seriously, the day before the event started than I would have if I had gone over there anticipating racing. I think that having it be last second, I had no choice other than to just put my head down and do it. And expectations, I think it would it might have been different for different people. Uh, originally, yes, I had I had some expectations to perform. I was so close to qualifying, I thought of myself. I mean, I was competitive against a lot of the other guys on the U.S. team uh, during the qualifiers. And yeah, so I felt that my speed there, like I said, that year 2021 was a good one for me, a highlight of my career, I guess, as far as fitness and results go. So I, I had some expectations somewhat going into it, but I was realistic enough to know that I'm just lucky enough to be having this opportunity uh, to have all these things lined up the way they did with a bike, uh, just with getting registration of and everything to just be racing the event. I went into it with the goal of just finishing. And for me, it was a little bit of a, uh, this just kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about having the correct or the appropriate mindset going into it. And my, for me, it was a little unique in that I, I was riding reserved for a few reasons. I was riding reserved because six days is a long, that's a lot of days in a row. I haven't ridden that many days in a before row. Before or since. Before <laughs> or since then. And, and then also, out of all of us uh, this, in our family as riders, I, I'll admit that I'm the, the least mechanically capable. Like, I, I can do... Uh, I've always been able to do simple maintenance. I've learned lots since then, but to have anything catastrophic or just significant really happen, um, not to say that I wouldn't been, have been able to handle it or fix it, and the rules there being at six days that you have to do everything on your own bike, you can't have any outside assistance, so I'm responsible if anything happens. So that was on my mind, probably more than anything. I was, I checked the inside of that airbox meticulously. I was so scared to blow that bike up. <laughs> so scared because if I was like, I just knew if I got put in the position where I have to do a top end at six days, I was like, oh, oh last well, guy in like. pits to do that. <laughs> and But even if it wasn't that catastrophic, it, I just didn't want to have anything to, to put me behind my... Because I, I was on pace the entire time. I was on yeah. schedule. I, I never lost a minute. I never once. lost a minute. I lost a minute that event. Uh, I lost for other reasons. It wasn't because you're... Yeah, you're, but I mean, to put it into how difficult that is to do i mean yeah you rode the entire event and stayed on schedule and i never lost or i lost one minute on mm -hmm. day two but it's daunting for an experienced mechanical rider not to say that you're not an experienced mechanical yeah. rider but say a, somebody who's confident in yeah, their somebody skills. that's 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 mechanically inclined yeah super confident in their in their mechanical skills and familiar with the bike because there's so many dynamics to that that were just not i mean not in your favor, but just challenging and adverse. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's daunting for an experienced mechanical rider to, to try and abide by the ISDE rules of, I mean, for those that are inexperienced with the ISDE rules, it's a reliability enduro format. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules. And from an outside perspective, it may sound sort of trivial or kind of, I don't know, um, just, 
not necessarily nerdy in a way, but uh, to put it into perspective. The ISD is the longest running off-road dirt bike in the, the world event in, in the world. Yeah, it's been so going for over hundred years. That's why they still hold on. Yeah, to so these. it's it's tradition. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 really just tradition. Take it and, seriously, they yeah. have marshals that. Oh yeah, it's the rich yeah. enduro history. Yeah. It's it's just practice. It's and what you go it is. there knowing this, and it's yeah, it's pride. Mm-hmm. It's there's a lot that goes into it. So when you experience it, it you actually become proud to to participate in it because you feel that energy around mm-hmm. it that it's I mean, it makes it challenging mm-hmm. it's it's the it's a true test it's one of the top three in the in the world ultimate tests of man and machine I mean you can rank ISDE up there with Dakar Baja 1000 I mean it's it's definitely it's up there and so to abide by those rules on a bike that you'd never even ridden I've before. Never ridden a never, Sherco. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Sherco 300. To never even have any, I mean, mechanical experience on that bike. There's a lot of things lining up to put you in a position where you're going to be relatively reserved and try and, I mean, save things. And I don't mean to bring all this up to like to gas myself up and make it sound like I'm the man. I, you are it, the I'm, man. I'm just stemming back to uh, the whole mentality thing because I, I I am proud of myself in recognizing what the priorities there were and creating an action plan as far as I'm going to ride reserved enough to one not go down and have injuries two not go down and damage anything on the bike um, and then like I said just mechanical failures like mainly those things just I I, I I would. I believe that I could have had a little better results and pushed harder. Um, if but I at what cost? Uh, but at what cost? That's exactly okay. it. So and to just be in to go back to how unique that scenario was. That I'm lucky enough to even be riding there. I just wanted to finish finish the whole thing. I would have been I would have been grateful, but I would have been somewhat devastated if it had ended day four, day five from a mechanical. It would have been memorable, absolutely, yeah. but. I'm very, to, very grateful to, to have come home the whole thing. and finished the whole thing. And I would credit it a lot to the race season that I had had that year prior. Just, just I had honed in on my mentality. And I just had, uh, uh, we could move on to um, nervousness. The, I, I was so calm there, which is crazy to me. And on, honestly, nowadays I am... I'm comp- I'm fairly calm when it comes to race starts specifically, um, or just the week of, and that's not that's new for me in the past six seven years. If you asked our parents, I'm sure they or even you, you can agree that I used to not be very calm before races. I've always struggled. Um, I've struggled my entire life with with nerves, nerves about life, just anxiety uh, for many reasons going out. I mean, especially when you're a kid going out there into the desert on some 20-mile loop on my own, on a TTR on my own. I'm going to get lost. I'm going to die, and wolves are going to eat me. That's Those are my thoughts when I'm that age. And then to just get older, to just worry about to worry about crashing or to seriously, though, I would worry so much about results. I'd worry about the finish before the race even started, and that's mistake number one. Um, so going back to the whole have fun and that year and just things that I practiced, it would just to see that shift in myself. Uh, it's something I've noted for a long time that uh, ever since then that I'm, 
I'm super grateful for and I hope others can practice and achieve that too because it works. And I can proudly say that I show up to most starts now just in the zone, just calm. And the six days, and in my situation, just having it be so last second, that's the last place I would expect myself to be so so calm. But like I said, I think it was because I just got thrown to the wolves essentially and had no no choice other than perform than to perform. But I will say, I think a lot of it did smack me in that first special test because <laughs> I'm hopping on again a Sherco that I'd never even ridden these bikes, let alone this and bike. You prefer four strokes. I prefer four strokes. Um, I remember because uh, they didn't specify. Uh, and this is going to sound bad because, again, I should just be grateful to be having the experience, period. But, said Sherco but when they said Sherco 300, I knew the brand familiar. I was familiar enough with them that I knew they had a 300 four-stroke and a little, my fingers were crossed. Hoping just a little bit that they'd roll out a 300 four-stroke. But to be honest with you, they brought out the two-stroke and I mean, I'm just happy to have a bike, yeah. of course. And then ultimately looking back, I am glad that i was on the bike i was on because i think it was just better for the i mean you ride that bike now you can you could attest to all the reasons why it was good for that for that race specifically but uh, yeah it's i I can just go go forever i mean you describe that you felt like it was better for you to be thrown into the fire to learn that you're going to be competing with less than 36 hours before the event starts is better i mean that kind of confirms a experience that I've had a lot of times in my own life, which is oftentimes thinking about doing something hard is harder than doing that hard thing. And I find that trend all the time in my life, especially, like I said, it doesn't get easier with, with, with racing off-road events, uh, whether it's going on a run, whether it's going, doing a small workout, whether it's putting your head down and getting that work done that you need to, or whatever it may be. I think that that's something that I constantly need to remind myself of and something that I just reflected on when you were describing that story is like, I often get in this position where I just, I'm an overthinker. I spend too much time analyzing, thinking about stuff. And, and if I would just sit down and just do it, and that's one of the experiences like in the first episode of the show, when I sat down with Jessica talking about it, and that's one of the attributes that I admire the most out of her is that she just, she has an idea and she just does it. And she doesn't let it get to her to to waste the time. And I think that that might play a little bit of the role in your 2021 ISDE experience and something, a lesson that I can learn and apply in my own writing still is like, it's harder to think about doing something than it is to just do it. And I mean, we could tie this into a bunch of different ways. One of them being like when you think about um, when you were describing some of the unique attributes of a GP style race versus a hare and hound or a different style, like an enduro, mm. oftentimes in an enduro or a hare and hound, you're going over a piece of terrain once at a hare and hound. You only cross that section once and you're done. And then you go do a second loop that's completely distinct and separate. And then you finish the event. So you're only ever crossing that obstacle or that section of trail one time and then you're done. Whereas a GP, uh, you're completing multiple laps on the same on the same track and so you're coming back around and sometimes that's an aspect of it that I actually struggle with and I think that it's you it's funny because um, if you look at the two different types of events whether it be a, a hare and hound discipline or a GP style discipline I have a tendency sometimes to extract 
the most difficult parts of each and then feel like those are like my weaknesses or something. Mm. For example, being like the GP, sometimes I feel like I psych myself out because then I immediately recognize or pinpoint some of the most difficult sections or oftentimes the most fatiguing, the most physically demanding. It's not, I'm to a point now in my skill level where, I mean, in most of our local off-road races, we're not going to encounter an obstacle that's impassable of some sort, like a technical hill climb or something. Whereas that used to be something that I used to be a lot more intimidated by. Now it's always fatigue. It's always physically demanding sections. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got to hit that three mile section of hard pack whoops again. Those are the ones that psych me out in the GP styles. And then maybe in the hare and hound section, I psych myself out a little bit thinking like, oh, it's, it's longer, Mm -hmm. it's a longer race. It's three hours long. I got to push for three hours. And so I think there's a lot of different things to kind of learn or how you, how you apply your mentality to those and how you can kind of get a better, a better perspective on it. Yeah. No, I, uh, the the GP I that what stands out is that you, you get scared of a of a three mile whoop section or whatever that's that is no it really it's a funny though. place to be and then but it affects you throughout the rest of the race it really does because then you're you're not riding as good because in the on the complete kitty corner opposite side of the track that you're currently on you're not focused on the train ahead of you you're thinking about that three mile whoop section and I mean. I mean, does just, that happen to you? It happens to absolutely me. to beat a dead horse with the six days thing. I mean, a lot of the transfer sections that we rode there. Uh, I mean, you'd ride multiple. We ride multiple times. Think about some of the obstacles there we had. The, yeah, you ride it the trenches, oh, the yeah. vertical trenches that we had to hit sometimes. And I know that six days to uh, if on the odd chance that there's some ISDE veterans out here that have done more than one, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not naive enough to think that they're the, all difficult. They're though. all difficult in their own ways. And even overall, if Italy wasn't as demanding of a, um, with weather, this, that, uh, there still were obstacles here, there that for the average rider would have oh, yeah. felt impossible. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't in the middle of a special test. We wouldn't hit a section that until 4 PM that day, practically, yeah, before I'm even on the bike, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And so absolutely, I, 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 I saw that in six days. I see that in GPs the same way. Um, Havasu is a, is a notorious one because it's the entire thing. The entire thing is just that three-mile whoop section that you're talking about. But absolutely, I definitely Do have. you think that other riders, um, like two thoughts. One, when we kicked off this whole conversation talking about your... 250Fs? Ex- yeah, 250Fs. <laughs> um, like your experience uh, being mindful of your technique. Mm. One tangent we can go off on is like, how many riders do you think are like concerned or aware of that, let alone interested in improving, improving that? Improving it. Uh, I would hope majority, right? I mean, that's what I think. The, I mean, I think that well, I think that most riders would be. I, I would think so. My reasoning would be, uh, again, I hope that the we good. I bumped something. Oh, we good. Yeah. I would hope that the majority of riders, like we've mentioned, are prioritizing fun over most things. Like for most riders, especially in the off road discipline, what are you going to get out of racing other than just having fun? Do you remember exact results from last year other than the most notable events, such as like Idaho City and stuff? No, you don't care. Yeah. You and don't what's so funny remember. to me is like, I mean, everybody's so concerned about their 
position relative to where they're at. Like mm-hmm. to me right now, it's really like it's my goal to maybe get inside the top 10 at a hair and hound or something or to finish in the top three or win maybe a local event or something. But I, it's so funny cause I'll talk to some of my friends, um, that I'm great friends with in the riding community and the local riding community that may be just at maybe a different level. Maybe they're competing in the B class and they're, they're just as concerned to beat that guy that's in their over 40 B class, which I mean, not that there's any less respect to be just as competitive in mm-hmm. your class relative to you, but I just think that it's so funny that all of us are isolated in our own little worlds where we're like we're just all so competitive and so concerned about reaching that sort of artificial boundary mm-hmm. or artificial goal or whatever you, that we've created for ourselves, and that if we somehow don't measure up to that, that we're then we we don't have the enjoyment out of it. Yeah. That's like the biggest thing that I've tried to learn recently, and I hope that we can sort of share with other riders. It's to just find ways to still set goals and be competitive and to compete to your true potential without assigning the the enjoyment or like limiting the joy that you experience to the results. results. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's exactly it. And it's hard. It's really hard. And honestly, yeah, I think it gets harder. It's easier to do that in disciplines such as desert racing, uh, local events where they're smaller. Um, I think there's a higher likelihood that most people are there just to get out on their dirt bike as opposed to something where the atmosphere is a little bit more competitive, such as motocross or even the GP series. Uh, I think people that are attending those tend to care about results a little bit more but whether the whether or not they do the i think the the lesson is the same like i i'm not kidding when you and i don't mean this in a disrespectful way but think about all the different events often because they are conflicting with schedule this that think about all the different off-road riding events that are going on racing events the same weekend or you have a different schedule conflict that you're not able to attend your the the consistent series that you usually go to i mean are you like actively trying to figure out or know who won that event a lot of times maybe yeah like if it's the one that you are an active racer in you want to know who who won the event um but for the most part it's like and i don't mean this in a disrespectful way life just goes on life just goes on there you go that's the that's the nail on the i'm not even gonna try nail in the coffin nail nail on the hammer (laughs) I don't know. Um, that's what I was trying to get at is like, yeah, just to reiterate your point of don't let results drive, all, find fulfillment in other ways. And I guess that just goes back to when you were trying to get back to the technique thing and hoping that, or just asking the question of, do you think most riders and racers have that mentality or are actively searching for improvement with their technique and uh, looking for improvement in themselves other than just comparing themselves to to others yeah no i i would i would ask or just i would offer people to try and just find fulfillment in improving yourself besides results with technique even just mentality like i mentioned i mean we've had this whole conversation and practically all of it has been mentality based like yeah. uh, i haven't even gone into into the practices that i've made as far as trying to improve technique, this, that, although it did ironically stem from the move to uh, 250F, which was an effort uh, as far as to to improve technique, which I'm happy to touch a little bit 
uh, moron if you want to moron <laughs> anyway, yeah. have fun riding dirt bikes is, <laughs> is, is the end of that, really. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, it's it's just so unique to me that so many riders kind of fall in that. But another I mean, kind of tangent on the what riders are observant of or mindful of is is regarding kind of the the terrain and the different obstacles and maybe recognizing sections of terrain that are more physically demanding or different things like that. Um, because I feel like you get to a level, you, you, there's a point in your riding progression where you, you transition. I think like most riders make that swing from like one of the most, one of the major concerns of like a C rider is like a very difficult obstacle that may be impassable, mm. like that they're not going to be able to get through. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where you kind of swing to now my concern is like the obstacles that wear me out or that take a lot of my energy or that are just kind of a, a high workload for my body mm-hmm. to, to get through. And so, I don't know, I just, I wonder, I, I just like to think about what other riders are kind of observant of. Mm-hmm. And often, I mean, Dad taught us this or mentioned this a ton when we'd come back from races and we just talk about how tired we were or just how, I mean, how hard racing can be. And just to often remind ourselves of, how more often than not everybody out there is thinking the exact same thing as far as fatigue and uh yeah everybody's tired their their legs are burning this whoop section does suck it's dusty i'm eating it too so uh, yeah you gotta you gotta remind yourself of that i had to remind myself of that this last weekend and that's something that i share all the time with people and something that I've really gotten to the point now, because we've been riding for so long, that I think that the more years you accumulate under your belt, the more and more you actually believe that. Because the more you experience it, the more you get to see other riders, you talk to them, you hear of their riding experience, and so you kind of see what they're struggling with and what things are on their mind. And so you start to build this sort of true foundation belief, like, yeah, everybody else has adversity too. And so, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's something that Benji and I were talking about too, was just uh, like no matter what you do in an off-road event, you're going to experience some level of adversity, like to some degree, whether it's small or big. I mean, at a minimum, you're going to have uh, obscured vision. You're going to have uh, something just not executed properly, whether it's, I mean, you're never going to have a flawless, perfect mm-hmm. race. I mean, off-road racing is too dynamic, too large scale, too many obstacles for it to ever just be totally mm-hmm. perfect. So, I mean, things are you're always going to be experiencing adversity to some degree. So, I mean, your results and your ability to perform are directly correlated with your ability to overcome adversity and stuff like that. But the longer I've ridden, the more I've believed like, okay, everybody else really actually is experiencing this. Cause there's a lot of times where we may say that, or, uh, you might just not truly believe that where you're like, well, I mean, you, you start making excuses like, well, I bet everybody else has been working out or riding more and I haven't. So that's why I feel this way. Or I bet everybody else is on better equipment. So their bike's better. So mine's not performing this way because of that. And so you start isolating yourself. But I mean, particularly at local events, I mean, if you're competing in the class you are, chances are that the other average Joe is average Joe like you. Mm-hmm. And they're they're likely in a very similar situation where they're probably living a similar lifestyle. They're probably um, just pretty comparable to you across the board. And so they are experiencing the same things. They're going through the trees too, wondering if there's a four-stroke behind them. They're still 
um, I mean, questioning their, their fitness or whatever, or hearing that tick or that knock, wondering if that's their bike or, or their hand guards getting bumped back. I mean, all those different things, mud on the goggles, the list is endless. And so, I mean, the point being that even at my point in understanding all of that and having the experience I do, I still like this last weekend, um, it was like mile 65 or something. It was, the whole race was 83 miles, I think. And we were well into loop two. And I had been running sixth overall for quite a while now. And I was pretty happy maintaining that position. I was trying to push forward, trying to focus on myself, trying to maintain that pace. Because at a Heron Hound, it's hard to keep that focus for that time. I mean, you watch Supercross and I mean their ability to maintain focus is, is, is just, just as hard, but they have to do it for 20 minutes plus a lap. And that's different than doing it for two and a half, half three hours. hours. (laughs) I mean, and on dynamic terrain, that's changing Mm -hmm. that you're interpreting for the first time. So there's different aspects to it, but, uh, trying to maintain my focus. And I hear a two stroke, I heard something when I was climbing up this hill and then about a mile later, I distinctly heard a two stroke and knew somebody was catching me. I was like, freak why does it have to be a two-stroke like yeah. uh i don't know why it feels worse getting passed by a two-stroke even when i'm on one but uh <laughs> i uh i started pushing forward and i was feeling some fatigue and kind of that late race fatigue where you're just you can't react quite as quickly you're feeling just that deep fatigue in your forearms and your grip and your hands are really hot because you're getting those blisters and so um but i had to just really consciously remind myself like okay I'm at mile 65, they're at mile 65 too. They had to hit every whoop that mm-hmm. I did to get here. They had to attack every obstacle that I did to get here. And so far to this point, like I'm ahead of them. And so just, they feel very similar to me. I mean, they might fluctuate a, a little bit, but they've had to overall do the same thing I've done. So they're very close um, in their physical attrition to that point. And to just but they're they made the effort to to get catch your dust at some point they saw your dust but that can be the second win that they need i mean that goes back to what we were talking about with the difference versus leading versus following somebody and at that point of in a, of a race it's actually i'd say more important than the beginning of the race uh, yeah the leading versus following thing yeah if you if you catch somebody's dust at mile 70 or whatever of an 80 plus mile race that's going to start an upward spiral for you. And at that point, I, if I'm in his shoes, I'm going, I got what, 10, 15 miles left. Let's just go. Like I caught this guy. I'm going to burn everything I have left in the tank. Um, yeah. So it, it just, but the timing of that is interesting because you hear like Ricky and, and James and everybody on the broadcast for Supercross, they often talk about the timing of like when somebody's going to execute a particular pass or something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you often hear them talk about kind of these prime moments when they need to actually execute that. And I can relate to that kind of on a different scale for off-road. But in Supercross, you're looking at somebody catching them and maybe they make up time on them. And within a lap or two is kind of that prime time where they need to make something happen. And if they get past that, where it's maybe been a couple minutes, two or three or four or five minutes go by without them executing something, then they start to, then the roles start to, the, the roles shift. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the power dominance goes back to the guy in front because now the long, every, every second that goes by that that rider can't pass them, it's more, um, 
belief and faith to the rider in front that he can hold them off mm-hmm. longer. And so there's just this really interesting sort of timing regarding kind of executing those moves. And I think that the scale is just elongated on an off-road event. Definitely. It's like kind of the same thing. It's just a, it's just lar- a larger scale. Uh, absolutely. I, I experienced that this year with the Rhino Rally. Um, the odd chance that State Hill's listening to this. Shout out, dude. It was a fun <laughs> battle. But uh, I genuinely believe that if I hadn't passed him, it was a three-loop race, him and I, we, we battled the entire time and practically um, from from the first loop on very, very close, like within each other's dust for those first two loops. Um, and I chased him for those first two loops. Halfway through that second, I, I put the pass on him and it wasn't easy. I burned a lot to, to make it happen. And I think if I had stuck behind him and just rode his dust for the rest of the race um, and then made that effort on the last loop, I would have beat him because what happened was he, he ended up I was gassed from after I pushed and passed him. I was gassed for the rest of then the race. Then the roles reversed. And then the roles reversed. Although I did gap him for a little bit there. He he found that second wind, and then I I was burnt out, and and he passed me. So it's it's hard. It's hard to know whether it's worth it to burn that energy or not. And uh, I mean, at that point, I I had committed to it. So I I'd, whether I stuck the pass or not, I had to I had to get it done because I burned all that energy. It's I might as well. It, if I burn all that energy trying to pass him and I don't, that only gives him the second win to just, you know, pull away from me. He knows that I can't land the pass or whatever. But it, that's it's a that's an interesting dynamic, and it it only gets gnarlier as you uh, you get closer and closer to the top. But that's going on for everybody. That's going on for the. 250 novice overall that's oh, yeah. going on in the over 40 B they're class. banging bars. Yep. They're banging bars. And I guess that's what that is ultimately what, what's bringing everybody buddy back on. And that, that, that can be fun. I don't want people to misinterpret what we mean by you can't be competitive racing. Competitiveness is fun too. Like that's a, that's oh, an yeah. aspect of it. I don't want people to think yeah, it's that just focusing on not, yourself yes, overall. Yeah. Be, I, I think you'll find more progress an improvement in focusing on the competing against yourself versus others. Yeah. And you have, yeah, racing others, being com- being competitive against yourself and others, but it really is where you where you assign your value as a rider and where you experience joy. Mm-hmm. And you can't limit that just to results. To results I think that's the yeah. big kind of thing that Absolutely. we've kind of been talking about. But when you talk about kind of the timing of events, I mean, there's so many different layers that you could kind of dissect in an off-road race or any type of race. Uh, I mean, we just covered that sort of the timing of executing passes, but then you layer on top of that, like the conditions of the event and how that affects then the timing. Because you talk about like a mud race versus a prime condition race versus a dust race and how that varies. Because in a dust race, you're being way more strategic about when and where you execute these passes and how you do it. Um, you're limited in your opportunities. And then in a prime race, it's all totally up in there because you can pass almost anywhere. You can pass right now. You can pass in five minutes. You can pass in 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. And you can pass because you're right on them. And so it's just interesting thinking about how that, uh, that plays a role. And those are kind of the things when you get in these conversations like that, that you start to kind of unveil these layers of, all sort like things that we've experienced as racers, particularly at this level. But sometimes when you just ask like for like some advice or something or like what things are on your mind, sometimes it can be hard to really just 
whip mm-hmm. that one right out of the bag. <laughs> Talk about, well, you really got to know when to make passes and how it varies during race conditions. Absolutely. Like, I mean, and Benji and I were talking about that too, uh, last week, like, um, the ability to recognize what obstacles are key obstacles to recall for the next lap and which ones are time savers versus mm. which ones aren't like, that's a, that's a very unique skill. And that's, that's, that is a skill that you have to like work on and improve. That's not just something that, that you're just like, you kind of find out of the blue. I mean, that's something that you're mindful of that you actually have to put into practice and that you improve over time. But like, there's a lot of it's, this is what it was that Benji and I were talking about is like, what are the indicators that indicate an obstacle is mm. one that can save time? Like, for example, I experienced something this last week where I was coming down a hill and I, I encountered an obstacle or kind of a, a, a section of turns in the trees where it was very obvious that riders had blown, um, kind of blown through or blown the corner. Mm-hmm. But I just was tight enough that I saved it. And then right after that obstacle, I noticed a significant more amount of dust than I did five seconds earlier. So you can do all the math in your head and you can go, okay, well, the guy in front of me probably messed up a little bit more than I did on that one. So now I'm a little closer because of that, all just because of like the environment and different things there. So that's not necessarily one where, um, unless that was on a GP track where you're coming around the next lap that would be an opportunity to look for something to save time. I'll save people a little bit of headache with the GP stuff. Um, jumping the motocross jumps is not going to save you that much time. I, I mean, ultimately like for the top dogs, yes, that can be yeah. the difference. Like if yeah, you're, scrumbling. yeah, if you want top 10, you, less than that, like, and when I say less than that, and I'm not discrediting, but like, yeah, uh, for a lot of people to be near the, the top area, you got to be you got to be jumping stuff. It does. I'm not going to say it doesn't save time, but it is so funny to go to GPs and especially a new track for people. And they just, they're everybody's Sweating walking the bullets. jumps, especially when there's no open practice and everybody's yeah. just, Oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> what? I got to jump this tabletop and, uh, let alone the 95% the, of off-road course, the three mile whoop section that you're talking about that you're scared of. Now that's what you got to be prepared for. Yeah, that's Go where you're sit in time. the AC and drink some more water rather than eyeing up this tabletop and prepare yourself for the off-road section. That's yeah. where you're going to, you're going to save some time. Yeah. We've all experienced. I mean, I can think of countless times where I've gone to local events that are GP discipline, GP style format races that are incorporating a motocross track with an off-road loop and everybody's sweating bullets about the tabletops <laughs> and the doubles. They're going, holy smackaroni. <laughs> and I'm just, and, and, and I was there. I mean, we've all been there where, oh, yeah. I mean, I remember vividly experiences like, Oh, got to race on a track. And now we ride the track all the time. It's nothing to it. But, uh, I mean, even yeah. if you didn't ride the track, though, oh, yeah. it's like not we, the like you're saying, we were in that sh- in that spot, and the time is not made up there in a GP oh, no. setting. If you're racing a motocross race and you're not doing the jumps, that's you're the gonna whole get race. Yeah, but, in a GP off road, I mean, even even on your ones that are, I mean, it's very rare that you're ever going to get a GP style track where the off road is one to one with the motocross, mm-hmm. where like the length of the off road is equal to the length on the motocross track, almost always. If there, there's going to be a significant more amount of off-road terrain. I mean, At some the of the shortest most, you're going to have 40% moto. That's a stretch. I'd yeah. say 70% off-road, 30% yeah. moto. I mean, but. some of the typical ones I think of in 
Utah or in in our local, I mean, the Mesquite track's a great example. I mean, you got like 10 minute lap times and it's like, what, a minute 30 on the moto, minute 45, maybe two minutes somewhere there. So you're, you're looking at a much larger portion on the uh, off-road section. And that's the entire motocross track, let alone if you just isolated the jumps. Mm-hmm. And then the difference of doing the jump versus rolling the jump. I mean, my advice, and I think you'd probably agree, to most B or C riders is the energy that you exert sweat and bullets over the jump could be easily made up if you just charge the jump without jumping. I mean, it's, it's very fast still to charge an obstacle without jumping. Mm-hmm. Just commit to the fact that, okay, I don't want to jump it. That's totally fine. You could probably go, I'd say like a lot of B or C riders could probably go just as fast or faster. I mean, charging a jump, maybe checking on the brakes, doing a little kind of absorbing of that lip and just not jumping the whole obstacle versus stick straight freaking launch that 40 foot tabletop and, and just, just pogo and yeah, the other seriously. side yeah that's gonna exert more energy take more time and yeah the overall you're amping just, yourself up on the corner before all right oh, i'm hitting the finish line absolutely but maybe we can talk about some of those it, I mean, if we're beating a dead horse with your conversation with benji you just let me know but for maybe GP specific or really just off-road specific um, races, what are some of those areas that you can look for to save time? The first one that comes to me, to my mind is with the GP stuff. Like I said, oftentimes these courses are getting beat. They're getting rough uh, moto and off-road. The whole thing's getting choppy and a moto chop, not, not desert whooped out necessarily, although there are plenty that get whoops, but square edge and holes and remembering I mean, the main line gets beat fast, and I've had to teach myself how to cut down early out of corners, um, and it, it saves yourself so much time and energy. That That's that's one I can think of, and that, that does reign true for a lot of off-road races, though. Like, these trails that you're racing on it, and then the Hare and Hounds and such, like, they're public trails. People are riding them every single weekend, sometimes during the week, and then they're being raced every single year. So there's there's a main line. And uh, sometimes such so much of a main line that you can't avoid it. Yeah. But there are there are definitely areas where you can still apply those same moto mindsets and cut down early and, uh, and avoid a lot of the rough stuff. I mean, <laughs> trying to ride that two to three inches at the edge of the trail with no whoops, that's one. It's hard to, it's hard to practice, but... Yeah, I mean, with dirt bike tires, I mean, you could be a lot more precise than I think people think. And you listen to Supercross riders, and then that's where you, your eyes are opened a little to kind of how precise you can actually be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's down to inches. I mean, where where oh, I'm trying, yeah, yeah, you're talking you're talking really tight tolerances mm-hmm. for for how precise you want to be. And so I think when the obstacles and the trails get tighter in off road racing, if you're talking single track, I mean, it's all relative because you could be uh, approaching a works or GP style course that's 20, 30 or 40 feet wide and you have a lot of room to work with and you're, you can get a lot more creative with your lines. That's a, that's an aspect of, and a component of special test racing that I just absolutely love is the mm-hmm. width and the amount of options and line choices that are available. But I mean, you, a lot of riders I think may think that even on a single track trail that you don't, that you're limited, but even on most kind of your average single track trail, you probably have at least maybe two feet of width that you're mm-hmm. working with, and you can do a lot with just even two feet. I mean, you can 
you can reduce the whoop size by riding the edge or different things. And so, um, and we could dive all into, <laughs> into special test line choice and stuff like that. But returning to your question about, uh, kind of what obstacles and indicators to look for to save time. I mean, I often think of things that are just kind of pretty obvious. They might not be obvious to everybody, but as you accumulate experience, they start to become a little bit more apparent. Um, if you, if you have something that can indicate your, or measure your distance to the rider in front of you, that's, I mean, probably one of the most black and white ones. So if you're racing against somebody and you pass an obstacle and then you notice a significant change in your position relative to theirs, that's kind of like a red flag. Like, okay, what happened there? Did I, and, and what did happen? Did you make up time or did you lose time? So if you did something and all of a sudden you're, you're exiting that particular corner and you're going, holy smokes, like I feel like I lost a couple bike lengths or I lost two seconds on them. What did I do? What was that obstacle? That's an indicator to look at it. Did I make up time on them? That's an indicator to look at that particular obstacle. It may have been, it may have been a split lane, whether it's a split lane in off-road or, or I mean, you, you encounter those all the time in off-road where you're entering a, a, a particular obstacle and you have a left or a right or something like that. Um, happens all the time in a lot of the racing in Southern Utah in the washes where the washes form and there's an island in the middle and you have to choose left or right. So you're making those choices on the fly. A lot of times there you're choosing between a big sweeping corner or whoops. Yeah, and, you're uh, riding in the flat portion where the water flows in the very bottom layer of the wash versus going up over the island bar that's often maybe harder dirt, a little bit more chewed out, a little bit rougher. And so you're making those decisions on the fly. So that's a great, great example of, okay, after I've completed this obstacle, how am I relative to that rider in front of me and making those decisions there? Another big one for me is um, my ability to maintain traction and balance. So if I do some type of obstacle or take a particular line in an obstacle and it just sets me up wrong. Like it makes me lose my balance. It pushes me too wide, pushes me off the trail, uh, in a direction I'm not really intending to go off the mountain, maybe off the mountain, Idaho city <laughs> or losing traction for some reason. I mean, that might be case or to, I mean, a, a reason to kind of take a look at it. And then there's just all the other ones that are maybe just a little bit more creative, like doubling things. Anytime you can straighten something out, flatten it out, or just completely avoid it by not even touching it. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones in off-road racing is just like, just not touching it. I mean, think of how, think of how much terrain your tires come in contact with versus a novice's. A novice's tires roll, Over and this is, this is nothing yeah. against, I mean, beginner riders. This yeah. is just skills that everybody learns mm -hmm. as they're progressing. I mean, at a lower speed, your, your tires coming in contact with nearly 100% of the train rolling all of those whoops. And you think of a, I mean, it sounds cliche to say like, we'll just go over the top of them or just jump something. But I mean, pro and expert riders oftentimes are executing that where they're, they're clear and they're staying out of the bottom of those holes and they're jumping stuff. And that's a, that's a huge one in off-road racing. It's you, you can split it up though, because it is so different your options just grow more and more as you uh, get better and better as a rider though. And then also as your endurance uh, goes up too, I bring up endurance mainly because the, what would separate, I think a lot of 
A guys versus the pro, top pros or even the top B guys versus uh, the pros. I think a lot of a lot of people would be surprised with how close their sprint speed is to some of the top guys. Like most of the time, a top B guy, like if you're going as fast as you can, you can you're pretty dang close to the top uh, or a lot of the pros. Uh, the fact the only difference is that you can only do it for 30 seconds as opposed to they can do it for oh, yeah. forever. And that that's when we talk about it, I just mean that it's it's different across the board because like one thing that comes to mind for me was when you're mentioning doubling whoops. Uh, I'll bring up Havasu for those who know it, and if not, it's just this rough. I mean, if you ride dirt bikes, you know what Havasu is. Oh my gosh, it's just nonstop brutal five six mile loop full of beach rollers, just so deep, just swallow your bike. And it's brutal. It's brutal for many reasons, but that's that's definitely up there. And I've just always, I mean, I, I've raced out there, like I said, with some of the top guys, pro am, and they're they're smoking me, they're lapping me, they're passing me, and I'm one, seeing what they're doing. You can even watch in their GoPros, and they're they're doubling these whoops. And not only are they doubling these whoops, they're doubling these whoops for two hours straight. And I can double the I can double those whoops. I can do it for a section, but that's just I can do it for a section. So it's for the difference between maybe me and those those top pros is it i need to look for uh it's it's physical it's endurance that needs to be improved as opposed to as you go as you go down a little bit you're probably i mean it's being able to even see these things but i i i guess what you can learn from that or take away from any of that is focus on your skill level this this goes back to what we were talking about earlier is don't don't get caught up like <laughs> me telling a, a c-class guy to start doubling havasu whoops is going to do him absolutely nothing that's yeah. gonna he's not going to prove at all so it's just everybody's improvement everybody's at a different level they got to focus on um they got to focus on different things and i guess uh, i don't know how long we've been going for but when we talk about focusing on different things and I want to make sure everybody can come away from our conversations and our content and feel like they've learned something that, uh, uh, that can help their writing specifically. Uh, you and I talked a little bit earlier today, the importance of, um, of film or photo. When I say that, uh, I mean of yourself, whether you're the one filming it, um, and that can be GoPro. It's hard. It's really hard to break down GoPros and, and see technique where you can improve technique, but from a third person perspective, especially if you can get somebody else to film you or take photos of you, you you can learn so much. You'll learn more than more than practically anything. More than studying other riders, um, I guess I should say, in combination of studying the guys that you want to emulate and then looking at yourself, you can easily see what they're doing differently. Um, so I I I want to stress that more. That uh, yes. Film yourself if you have the option when you're practicing. Whoever you're going with, if it's your riding buddies, if it's your girlfriend, your wife, your kid, um, your dog. Bust, bust the iPhone yeah, Bust out. out the iPhone. Hit the slow-mo. Hit slow-mo and Observe. watch yourself in the corners. See what, you're, see what doing. you're doing wrong. I bring that up because I've, I'd say for myself, on a technique level, which then translates to speed, that's been a huge improvement and help for me. I explained to you earlier how... Um, working the the job that I have for the past few years, uh, I've had a lot of opportunities to ride on camera more than more than I ever have, and probably more than most uh, for ads and all this and 
that includes both photo and video and starting off. I mean, I, I had, I'd come back from races. I'd see a couple photos. I'd see my toe sticking out. I'm like, Ew, that's not good. And I forget <laughs> about it. But to just to do it that often um, at work or just to have it t- time and time again to just see um, what's wrong with my technique. I'm way more conscious of it. Um, but I, I think most people aren't even aware. Unfortunately, a lot of us, we see, and myself included, I see clips of myself. It doesn't matter how fast you think you are when you got the helmet on. You come back. Like, what? And just, I'm going so what? freaking slow. Like, I felt like I was ripping. I know. And, uh, but yes, I can't stress enough how much how much film and photo can help. And in our course, I know we want to offer our our feedback and critiques as much as we can. Um, and just do what you're do what you can. Like I said, a GoPro on the ground is whatever on top of your Better helmet. Than I mean, yeah, it's, just start with whatever you yeah. got. That's my advice to anybody. Even with, uh, I mean, with us starting a photography business, we've been going for just over ninety minutes. Um, is to just use, just use the, the equipment you got. Just use the camera you got. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's got a freaking smartphone now. I mean, everybody's got a camera. No There's, different than the bike they got or anything yeah. like that. But yeah. yeah, just yeah, exactly. Use what you got. Mm-hmm. You don't need to feel like. And I have a bad tendency in my own life to feel like I can't accomplish something until I acquire that new <laughs> piece of equipment. And that's not that's not true in any sense. I mean, just do what you, just do what you can with what you got. So. Yeah, that's that's an invitation to all of us, and I need to do that more. Um, but uh, we're lucky in that uh, with the content that we've created and are always creating that uh, we spend time kind of observing, and that's uh, that's really kind of been just the journey that I've been on for multiple years now. For five, I mean, longer than that. Um, I've really been focused on the technique aspect of it for the last five or six years, but. Even just kind of trying to be, I was not very mindful of my writing before my mission, but uh, I, uh, I do, I can recall a couple key things that I observed early on, and one of them is one that you kind of just touched on, where it was like, I, I started to notice like at the beginning of races that I was able to go as fast as anybody in the top ten, uh, even whoever was running first place, like I could ride the same speed that they were for those couple miles and it just one day it just clicked where I was like well if I can go as fast as them during that section then that technically means I'm as fast as them I just have to learn how to sustain that longer so I think that's a really key distinction for a lot of riders to make is to separate that sort of intensity and that speed versus that stamina and endurance because if you're not getting the results that you want or if you want to improve it's always going to be some combination of the two but for most riders one of the two is going to be heavier or more needed than the other i think that a lot of times riders that uh begin riding at a young age and and progress through their youth usually develop the intensity and struggle with accumulating that endurance riders that may um, find off-road riding a little later in life that may be a little bit more into adulthood they sometimes struggle maybe getting that intensity and but they kind of have a little bit more of a foundation of endurance that's not always the case everybody's got a different personality and different strengths and weaknesses 
And that really depends on what your background of riding is because I would say overall for off-road riders, they might have a um, little bit more emphasis on the endurance and lack a little bit on that intensity side of things. Whereas motocross riders typically tend to have the reverse where they might have a little bit more intensity but lack a little in that long-term stamina and, and endurance. And so my advice to a lot of riders, a lot of off-road riders that may just kind of lack in that intensity is to just ride sand tracks or motocross tracks. Those are the two areas where you will just you're forced to, yeah, you're, you have to improve your yeah. intensity. I, and with that, and I'm by no means any master. I freaking, I, I far from it when it comes to bike setup, suspension setup specifically. Um, it's hard to know what you even want. Like, how do you know what you, or what you need versus I don't even know what I want. Like it's, and that's at a, a double a pro level or whatever. Like I hate to admit that I can practically hop on just about anything and I could get the job done. I would like, I, I have gotten to a point where I, I I'd like to think notice. that I can notice. I can yeah, notice you're probably better than you can think. Changes. But the point being like that it's, I mean, you, you, you can adapt to a lot of different things. Mm. And I guess the point more being that uh, it's important to familiarize yourself with, with, the, with the components of what you need to change before you really just go out and say that's, like. That's where I wanted to go with that. that you, you nailed it with yeah, familiarizing yourself. Figure out what the range even is. Twist your clickers all the way in, see what it feels like. Twist them all the way out, see what it feels like. Just see what your options even are, because um, you'll feel you'll feel the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the same goes for. I just wanted to touch on like you mentioned, guys who maybe get into it a little bit later. You see them; they often ride a little bit more timid. Um, they struggle to find that intensity, especially in like a turn track setting. Um, I think that can be you can credit, or the reason for that rather is that. I mean, we take for granted our ability to determine how much traction we have. That is such an important part of riding and racing. And as you get into it later, I think it's it's so much harder to figure out that feeling as opposed to when you were brought up on it on a mini bike. Like yep. you just you're it's ingrained. It's in ingrained every in you. fiber we don't of your being. Yeah, yep. most people who have ridden their entire lives, if you talk to them if you mention to them that they probably have a really good grasp of, of traction, they're, they're going to be like, I never, I never really thought oh, about that yet. That's it's all everything. It's, oh, it's all everything. of it. Traction just, and balance. I wanted to, I, I think a good practice for those guys who are getting into it, struggling to find that intensity would be to do no different than using the extremes of their suspension and clickers all the way out, clickers all the way in. And in a safe manner, trying to do the same things with, attraction uh, i mean just do burnouts or whatever i mean i'm sure i could think of some better training oh, a great drill is like drills. accelerating really hard and then transitioning to hard braking and you start to familiarize yourself with where that threshold is where loose. you break where you break loose because yeah, often you when you get to the, the top level you use that to your advantage like yeah, in desert racing it. that's a very good technique dad better than any of us has power that one slide. down he has the power slide down Brakes like good. where he uses it all the time um and yeah absolutely it's useful and then but in even more importantly a safety factor to just know where your limits are um because it can be hard i don't want to say that the technique side of things doesn't do anything your body positioning rather doesn't do anything if you don't have a foundation of 
how to even ride the bike, how to, uh, how to control the throttle and braking and, and those factors. It's huge. Like the, yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, that's great advice for, for any, any beginner rider or any level rider out there. I mean, I'd practice that stuff all the time, but familiarizing yourself. And I think we take for granted, I mean, our familiarity, is that a word? It is now. I don't know if I said it right, but how familiar you are with speed and traction and balance and peripheral vision and obstacles coming to you at speed. I mean, all those things. I mean, I drive around town and I freaking am blown away with people driving. And I'm like, do you realize like what's going on? Like your tires (laughs) are coming in contact with the road surface. And they're not invincible. Yeah. (laughs) They're not invincible. And they have friction and you're getting traction like when you turn or anything. And there's a limit. And yeah, there is a point where that stops. And I'm like... Do, just like just spend four seconds and think about what's going on here and there it's just like there's no idea there's no i mean concept of traction of speed or any of that worse with when it comes to weather rain or snow you oh, yeah. introduce that i mean and then that rain's even more true when you go back to dirt bikes with mud this that people struggle so yeah. hard with with mud and, and so it really comes down to like the basics it's like traction balance i mean being familiar with those things Mm -hmm. clutch control and throttle control and all those different things but one big thing that ties into all this that i was going to ask you earlier is since you've been spending some time on the sx the s experts the Mm -hmm. supercross experts you've had to sort of observe the pros and the supercross riders and you've got experience observing yourself so walk me through a little bit of that, that process of what it's been like to analyze and observe the top riders in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I would like to think that I've put more effort into it than I did before. I mean, I, I think before I hopped on the show, I was just as much of an avid supercross motocross fan. I've always tended to lean more towards motocross a little bit. I just love, I love outdoors. I just love how extreme it is. Um, I, just can appreciate that discipline a little bit more. Although I think it's because the relatability for motocross, ride like it more. Yeah, yeah. I've ridden it more. I uh, it don't would take ride me supercross. so long to ever get the cojones to do anything on a supercross track, let alone the equipment. rack up the cojones mm-hmm. for a whoop section. For, oh, skimming that, in third. I don't think that would ever, bye, bye, ever bye, happen. Bye, bye. But back to your question of, I mean, what am I noticing or how am I picking apart the top guys a little bit more? Um, I've watched a whole lot more of practice, race day live, pay attention to that. Um, I think more than anything, I, I was aware of this, like you, um, that mental is a huge part of it, but I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is just how much of a mental game it is for them, just as much as it is for us in our, in our, whether we're in a championship hunt or it's just a for fun race weekend. I mean mentality is huge even for for eli for cooper for chase i think about what's going on currently and this is just going to turn into as experts now but with i mean webb is in a sticky spot where he's about to lose he's at a higher risk of losing second place in the championship to sexton now as opposed to this battle that he's had with tomac all season and it's breaking down on him he's just he's 
weekend after weekend, like three in a row, he's been off the podium and that's, that hadn't happened practically all year. And he's one of the most mentally strong guys in the sport. So yeah. to think that mental, uh, is, is not a component of your own racing. Component. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. everything it, you're, you're dreaming. So you, yeah, I mean, I think too, I mean, it's kind of died off now to some degree, but like the rivalry between, uh, Paul, Paul Cooper and uh, spit my coconut water <laughs> in my organ- organic Kirkland. Uh, the rivalry between Coop Dog and uh, Ken had mm. like was at its peak in like what 2020, yeah, 2020, 2021. I mean, just a couple seasons ago, yeah. and I mean, that rivalry was pretty hot for two or three years, and it always will be some level of competition between the two. But when they were both the big dog title contenders, mm-hmm. I mean. And everybody was like, oh, what's with this? And who's racing and the line? And I'm like, it is 110% mentality. Mm-hmm. Like it is Webb's mental strategy and one of Kenny's weaknesses. And it's and I related a lot to it because of just the, just the way the dynamics are. I mean, Kenny's talented, speed, good starter early, fades later. Webb's the, Webb had a lot of the opposite strengths that would conflict at the end of the 20 20 laps Mm -hmm. and so it's like um i mean and then the same thing with sexton right now at this point there is a larger portion of me that is um sort of influenced by the possibility of it being a bike setup because i'm like how in the freak does does it happen happen that many times but at the same time uh, the the biggest component for me is still it's just it's mental mm-hmm. and if people are scra- if, if people when they're saying like there's it like that's not it I'm like that's everything and that's what I like so much I don't think Ricky Carmichael talks enough about that Ricky Carmichael's more about the grit and the work ethic but James Stewart is more about he, stuttering he yeah he sees those things like I mean he he can pinpoint them mm-hmm. fast on the broadcast he'll see he'll see things. Even, and not all of them I agree with, but there's a lot of them where I go, yes, like you got it, dude. Like you nailed that. I know exactly what you're describing. Like that happened in that corner before he looked out of his corner and that's why that happened. And and he sees it and like, and he's one of the best racers ever. Mm -hmm. And so like, I connect a lot with that uh, on those observations. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I'm glad to see some some switch up in the in the broadcast as far as who's who's commentating bubba bubba's been a sweet addition he brings a lot of change and some some <laughs> in a lot of ways and no we we enjoy some talking. uniqueness yeah some uniqueness that's that's for sure but uh, it it is it is crazy to think or maybe we're, it's just our own vanity that we can sit here and compare supercross and find similarities between yeah. was it monday own. morning quarterback Monday morning quarterback. We're not ball sporters. Oh, we're no. not sticking ball sporters, no. so we don't get those. But that's what that's <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I see. I didn't even know what that phrase was. I yeah, think. I learned it. I mean, yeah, everybody's probably laughing at us, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, you know, yeah. Monday morning, Monday morning yeah. quarterback, and when you're sitting there, like sitting on the couch, so easy to YouTube to comment teach. section. Yep. Oh, the YouTube comment section to a T. Hey, if that's something that I've learned. From S experts doing S experts is oh my, the comments will roll in no matter what you do. Like that's just haters gonna hate. It's funny to talk about it in this position where we're we're talking about to the people who the the very same people who comment to us. But we no we uh, we should thank and mention that if anybody for the 
for any reason is still 46 (laughs) still diehards (laughs) if you're still hanging on thank you for that and then also just our our fan base specifically with ride with the knights they're all very very supportive um we i think it's we're very lucky and kind of the minority when it comes to just social media and being uh, showing your faces or your opinions on the internet to have majority be such a positive they just receive it very well and the reception's great good feedback and i mean yeah we're always open to it's a free 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 country yeah do it's free country yeah but uh no i like i mean i i uh i think we covered a lot of stuff um i mean there's anything else burnt to a crisp though (laughs) i'm a toasted bun like we've been working all day talking all day and uh, but this has been awesome and absolutely this is not the last this is the first of many and we want to talk about many things dirt bikes of course but uh um yeah we're all, we're very lucky I, we we have a cool family cool group um i'm not ashamed to say that and mention that we're very fortunate and we want to share everything we've got going on everything we've had going on and plan to have going on so that's this yeah. podcast will cover all of it for sure i like i like it i mean I like it. I wanted to do it for a while just because I knew that we could sit down and learn and kind of get into the, the nitty gritty mm-hmm. and just talk about, I mean, just talk about stuff to learn and, and, and progress and reflect on awesome experiences. And I think that there's value in sharing it with other people because they just get the opportunity to experience some of that same passion and joy with us. So no, that was a good time. I think we should do it again. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Let's let's go to bed. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>